grace. This word and all of the promises connected to it is something that is entirely intoxicating to the heart of a Christian. Grace is the one thing that makes biblical Christianity separate itself from every other religion in the world that exists. Because it describes the way that humanity is felt, or how God feels about humanity. The way that God feels about humanity is love. And it's not just any kind of love. Grace is, is the kind of love that causes God to empty himself and make himself nothing. Quite literally give you everything. Grace is that love that causes God to die for sinners. Though he did not deserve to die, and the sinners themselves do deserve to die, by their very nature, grace is what causes God to stand and die in their place. Grace is, is the love of God. The love of God that causes God to remove all of your sins, as far as the east is from the west, to, to cover up your sins so that your sins are remembered no more in God's sight. Grace Grace is the love that, in spite of who you are, in spite of what we do on a daily basis, grace is what makes God say that you're right with him. Grace. So profound. So deep. That human beings could spend their entire lives contemplating the richness and the beauty of grace and never exhaust it. Grace, this love of God, is so foreign to human hearts because it doesn't exist in anywhere else in all of the world, so that it must come from God, and the only place that grace can actually and fully be realized and understood is nowhere else than in the cross, in God's Son. Grace. That word and all of its promises are so intoxicating to the heart of the Christian. And all of you, all of you to whom God has poured out his grace into your heart, recognize that grace is a gift unlike anything else you ever could or ever would receive in this world. It moves you to be so thankful that words cannot even express the joy that you sense because of knowing that grace has filled your heart. If you ever find yourself, you who have had your hearts and lives transformed and intoxicated by grace, do you ever find yourselves looking at people and kind of scratching your heads and, and saying, really, God? That's the person to whom you would choose to give your grace? That's a person that you would, that you would love? When I read through the, the narrative of salvation history, I find myself asking that question probably more often than you might guess, and more often than maybe I would like to admit. Because there are characters all throughout Scripture that, that make you puzzled like that. That cause you to ask God, really, this is who you would choose to love? Take, take the prostitute who lives in Jericho's wall, a woman named Rahab. Really, God, that's who you're going to choose to love? Or how about the two men in our, in our gospel meeting for this morning? James and John, these selfish men whose hearts are consumed with a desire and a quest for power to sit on Jesus' right and on Jesus' left. Really, Jesus? This is who you're going to choose to love, the selfish, power-hungry men, men like that. Or even the guy who wrote the basis for our sermon this morning, Paul. 
God, you're going to choose to give your grace to, to an ardent persecutor and murderer of Christians. That's who you're going to choose to love. And that question only becomes more deeply solidified in my heart, and maybe in yours too, when you actually look at how God used these people. For God, not only did you choose to love a woman who sells her body for sex, but, but then you choose to use her as part of salvation history to save two of Israel's spies from the men in Jericho who want to, wanted to kill them. God, there could have been anyone else, anyone more upright, anyone who lived at least a little bit better of a moral life, but this is who you chose. For James and John, these power-hungry men, God turns James into the, the leader of the church that's at the epicenter of Christianity, the church in Jerusalem. And he chooses John to write five books that are contained in the New Testament and to be the one that is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Or even Paul. The ardent persecutor and murderer of Christians becomes the most prolific spreader of the religion that he once persecuted. And sadly, it's not just that we ask those questions of God about the characters woven into salvation history. We, we end up kind of asking those same questions about other people, other people that God brings into our lives. Like my friend who is a, a pastor in kind of a, sprawl, a, a sprawling suburban area. Um, Right across the street from this church is a, is a large Section 8 housing complex. And if you're familiar at all with Section 8 housing, then you know the type of people who tend to live there and the kind of lives that they tend to lead. One day a man from this Section 8 housing walked into, his, walked into my buddy's church, and he looked and smelled about how you'd expect. Eyes that were pinned, clothes that were tattered, reeked of marijuana, looked like he hadn't showered in days or even months. And the first inclination that my friend has is that this guy is coming in to ask for money. Money that he's probably going to spend on drugs of some sort. But much to his surprise, this man comes in and sits down in his office and asks, asks for nothing other than Jesus. And in a moment of very real transparency with me, my friend says, this is how exactly what I said to myself. Really, God, this this is the man that you want me to explain grace to? This is a person that you're choosing to love? Now, I harp on this a lot. Uh, part of that is because repetition is the mother of all learning. But I think it's important that we as Christians understand this, that, that you, as people who have had your hearts transformed and intoxicated by grace, by its very nature, you become people who, who spread God's grace. Because grace is not something that can be contained by the human heart. It necessitates sharing. It necessitates you, who is a member of the kingdom of grace, going out and, and spreading God's grace to other people. And the best part of all of this is that God doesn't say, all right, you're going to go and be a harbinger of grace to the world, and then kind of just leave you stranded and figure out how you're going to go about it and, and to whom you're going to go. What God does is he brings you into situations and then brings people into those situations and gives you an opportunity to do just that. To share God's love. Unfortunately, though, Satan does a really good job at, from time to time getting a hold of our hearts and causing us to look at the people that God brings into our lives and say, really, God? That's who you want me to share your love with? Really, God, could your grace be for somebody like, like that? This morning I want to get to the heart of why we do this. 
of why we can't just simply let God be God, and why we can't simply just do the things that God asks us to do, and why we end up asking questions like, like how could God's grace be for somebody like this? Because in the end, when we ask those questions, what we are trying to do is to reason through and rationalize what, what Paul actually means when he says all in Romans chapter 3. In that section that we just read, Paul says there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When in the same breath, Paul says all have sinned and all are justified, what we are trying to figure out is who's included in all. When Paul says all, does it mean really mean that all people are sinners? And when Paul says all, when it comes to justification, when it comes to grace, does he really mean all? Can God's grace actually be for people who are prostitutes and murderers and thieves and gossips and liars? Can that actually be the case? And what we're doing when we're asking those questions is we're playing this really twisted version of the comparison game. This is a game I think you're all spiritually familiar with. That game that tries to, to devalue is not the right word. What's the right word for this? Downplay. This game that tries to downplay your sin and elevate the sin of others as if for somehow you are more deserving of God's grace than, than people like them. And that they are included in what God says is all. But only the kind of all that you want them to be a part of. And when you look at people and you classify them as them, it's really quick and easy to say, they're part of the all have sinned. But they can't possibly be part of of justified freely by his grace. Because I'm part of that. And I haven't lived a life as bad, or as amoral, or as sinful. As they have. You know what we do to God in, in those instances, what we kind of turn God into? If we think for a moment that this is how God operates, that he is okay with our sin as long as it's not as bad as the sin of those around us. If, we're, if we think that somebody else isn't as deserving of God's grace as we are, as people who have had hearts that are transformed by God's grace, what we're doing is turning God into nothing other than this karmic tyrant. Right, that God only gives his love to those in whom he sees some merit, to those who might possibly deserve it. And what we also do is then turn grace into something that is the very antithesis of grace. Right, if grace is God's undeserved, unasked, unearned love, that we are saying that there are some people who are truly worthy of God's grace, then what Paul says is true in later on in Romans. If this is grace, if grace is something we can earn or deserve, then grace ceases grace. Really, God, could your grace be for all people? Even for people like that? It's exactly because of these twisted notions that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes what he writes in Romans chapter 3. Because he desperately wants us to understand, both in our heads and in our hearts, what he means by all, both when it comes to sin and when it comes to grace. Because it's only when you start to understand the first that you can fully grasp and comprehend the necessity for and the beauty of the second. But when Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he's not just saying some. He's saying you. And we talked about these people who committed some pretty bad sins, right? These power-hungry people, the, the prostitute, the, the murderer. 
right? It's easy for us to try to classify these sins and make them out worse than the sins that we commit, some of the sins that people can't even see. But what Paul is saying when he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we're all on the same plane. Because while we may try to classify different sins, in God's eyes, sin is all the same. It doesn't matter how you view it. In God's eyes, sin is deplorable and detestable. It's, it's a stench in his nostrils. When Paul says all, he means all. And it's only when you understand that, that you are included in all, you can truly understand the beauty of the second thing, that all are justified freely by his grace. It is only when your heart, your stone heart, is shattered by, by that crushing blow of the law that tells you you are a sinner, that you understand the necessity for grace and what grace caused God to do, and how far grace sent God into this world and to the lengths he went for you. But he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God says that because of grace, you're justified. In other words, you have a not guilty declaration over your head because of what Christ has done for you. He says there is a redemption, a buying back. The picture in this word is, is someone buying back a slave from their position, giving them their freedom. Because the reality is, you and I, you and I were born into this world as slaves. As slaves to sin. We were slaves to sin, and Satan was our master. Every time that he cracked the whip, the sins of lust and pride, of adultery and murder and deceit, anytime he cracked that whip, we listened. We could do nothing other than listen. We were slaves. All of us. But God did not want us to be slaves forever. Instead, what he desired was children. He desired that you be his children in the same way that Adam and Eve were his children prior to the fall. He desired that he have an intimate relationship with you, one that can only be by grace. And this had to come through the redemption in Jesus. Now, the cost of your redemption is far more than gold or silver, far more than anything a bank account in this world can contain. It's the blood of God's Son. And all this is all given to you as a gift, given to you by grace. It costs God dear. Because that blood of the Son poured out forgives all your sins. That blood of the anointed one of God Make sure that he no longer sees your past. That blood of God's chosen Messiah is the very thing that assures you that you are in a right standing with God, and that you have an eternity with God forever. That is grace. That is the only way that that works. God did this for you by grace alone. But he didn't do it for you alone. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace. There's no distinction. That's what makes grace such an intoxicating thing for the heart of a Christian, because it tells you that God didn't just do this, send His Son to die and to rise for people who might be worthy or people who might somehow deserve it in the end. He did it for sinners like me. Did it for people like them. 
Because the reality is, the reality of grace is that it really transforms the way not only that God sees you, but the way that you see other people. And here's how. God's grace it doesn't give a lick about what your past looks like. God's grace doesn't care if you were a prostitute or a tax collector or a thief. It doesn't care if you were a liar or a gossip or a cheat. God's grace doesn't even care that you were a sinner. Instead, it's God's grace is concerned about your future and it transforms your present. Because now when you look at people, when you look at people, you no longer see people that are unlovable, undeserving, and unworthy. When you look at people, you see yourself. You see somebody included in all. You see somebody that is a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God just like you, and you see somebody for whom there is redemption. You see somebody for whom grace is meant. Because God's grace is for all people. God would use you to give that grace to people. If you want a demonstration of this truth that God's grace is for all people, if you want a testament to that, look at those characters and how they ended up later on in the narrative of salvation history. Look at Rahab. That prostitute who had been given grace and saved those men from Jericho, do you know what she, she was? She was an ancestor to the Messiah who came and lived and died for was in the line of Jesus. What a testament to this truth. Look at James and John, these men, these power-hungry men. They ended up as some of the most influential leaders in the early church. Look at Paul, the man who stood and approved as one of God's own children, was stoned to death. He later became the most prolific spreader of the grace that transformed his heart. He became the biggest missionary that the world has ever known. I'm going to testament to that truth of the man standing before you. A sinner born into this world that deserves nothing but help. But by the grace of God, through the waters of baptism, was made, was made a brother of the king, made an heir to heaven. By the grace of God, was made a shepherd of his sheep and a proclaimer of the very grace that saved him. I'm going to testament of this truth that God's grace is for all people. Look at you. You need look further than you need look no further than your own hearts, because you are all sinners. Yet God has brought you all back. This is what makes grace so foundational, a truth upon which to stand. That's what makes grace so intoxicating, because nothing else like this, a love like this, does not exist. And that grace is not for some select chosen few people; it's for all people. By God's grace, you never know how he is going to use each one of you to be a proclaimer of grace for somebody who needs it. In Jesus' name, amen.